0: We come in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John to uh, something far too wonderful and far too uh, meaningful for us to uh, express all of its truth and all of its beauty for us in our Christian lives. A symbol and a word picture, a beautiful blending of imagery and interpretation from which we may go often to learn so much about our relationship to Him, our relationship to each other, and about God's will for our lives as Christians. Jesus begins the passage, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. It was a familiar image that the Lord Jesus used. For growing all over Palestine, uh, often in the wild, untended and unfruitful, there were vines And wherever they were planted and cultivated in a variety of ways, they yielded a bountiful crop of fruit that was one of the principal elements of their economy and their diet. The only value of the vine was to bear fruit. Uh, And that night after the establishment of the memorial supper, As the Lord Jesus and His disciples left the upper room in Jerusalem, as they went down the Kidron Valley and across the brook, they would doubtless have crossed many small plots of cultivated vines. And as they went, as He so often did, the Lord Jesus drew on what was around them to teach them wonderful truth. He called himself the vine. But using the vine as a symbol for their national life was a well-established thing. In fact, the puppet king of Rome, Herod, had the grapevine with its fruit uh, chiseled above his throne as a symbol of the national life of Israel. And often in the Old Testament it was so used. In Psalm 80... Uh, the comment is made by the Lord that He called His vine out of Egypt. It is used as a metaphor by Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others of the prophets. And it was used by the Lord Jesus not long before this in another parable, as recorded in Matthew 21 when He told the uh, parable of the wicked husbandman who rented the vineyard from the landowner and then refused to be stewards of it and to share the bounty with him. And so the picture of the vine and the branches has so much to teach us. We will not exhaust it, but there are some things that I want to point out. The vine was cultivated in a variety of ways. Sometimes the rugged hillside would be well terraced and stacked uh, on the terraced levels where rocks and the vines would be entwined in the rocks. Sometimes they would be simply allowed to grow along the ground if there were not the time or the resources to provide uh, a proper trellis. And they would put sticks under the branches, to hold them up off the ground a little bit so that the fruit would not touch the ground. Often it would be entwined around the doorways so that what uh, shade there was would be benefited or on proper trellises or walls. The vines would be stretched and would grow. Cultivation is absolutely essential. Oh, the vines would grow... They would look good without cultivation, but they would be absolutely fruitless. William Barclay made this observation. A young vine was not allowed to fruit for the first three years. Each year it was cut drastically back that it might develop and conserve its life and energy. When it is mature, it is pruned in December and again in January, It bears two kinds of branches, one fruit-bearing and one non-fruit-bearing. The non-fruit-bearing branches are drastically and mercilessly cut away so that they will not drain away the life and the strength of the plant. The vine will never produce the crop of which it is capable without this drastic pruning, and the Lord Jesus knew that. Further, the word of the vine, the wood of the vine has the curious characteristic that it is good for nothing. It is too soft to be used for any purpose. And even when the wood was burned, when it was cast into the fire, it flamed up, but only for a moment, and was burned away. And so here is the metaphor, the beautiful picture that the Lord Jesus gives us. In verses 1 through 3, here is the hazard of the branch. The branch, he says in verse 2, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. The Lord Jesus Christ, Himself is the true vine. Now, that is as opposed to the false vine. I mentioned that the a word picture was used often in the Old Testament, but every single place it was used to refer to vine and branches of, as Israel in the Old Testament, it was used in a negative sense. In the book of Isaiah, he says that the vine had run wild that it was untended and was not fulfilling its purpose. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah says the the vine had degenerated. Hosea says that the vine is empty. Often it is spoken of as a fruitless vine and when it is applied to his people, the prophets say they refuse to listen to God, they give lip service only and they abandon him at every time opportunity it seems perhaps like a somewhat brutal picture that of being cut back and cut away so that growth can occur and indeed it is but we need to remember that the knife is in the hand of the father and the father loves us it takes an expert to prune For if the pruning is not done well or if it is done improperly, either fruitlessness uh, may occur instead of being helped or the branch may die completely and fall away. It is important to notice that the vine and the branches are one plant. There is one life, one stream of sap that brings life and health. There is one distinctive nature and character to the entire plant. And it cannot live and produce without the attention of the vine dresser. And in our lives as Christians, there may be correct doctrine. We may believe the, the right things. There may be rightness of life in an outward way. But the question that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples at his last opportunity was, is there fruit? More fruit. Much fruit. If there is not, if there is no fruit or if there is little fruit, it is a demonstration that there is little or no union with the vine. The knife? is not wielded to injure though often it feels like injury the knife is wielded to bear fruit and it is the bearing of fruit that determines the fate of the branch it seems so cold uh, in one way if we think of god as a sentimental kind old man who does whatever pleases us but that is not the picture of him sometimes the knife falls and it seems as if nothing is left but it is the life of the vine is left and when you look at Jesus Christ you see that first of all the pruning of the vine Jesus himself being the vine demonstrates that God will not spare the fruitless from the pruning. There is a striking statement in Romans 8 about he who spared not his own son. I fear that in our presumptive living sometimes we have Uh, in our minds a feeling that God will just look away, that it does not matter, that He understands, that He forgives us and if we don't live for Him it doesn't make a great deal of difference. But if you look at Jesus Christ, you will see that God takes sin so seriously He let His Son go to death to pay for it. And if he spared not his own son, nor will he spare the fruitless branch. But in Romans 8 also we are told that because he spared not his own son, he will with him also freely give us all things. It is the fruit that determines the fate of the branch. No fruit, the branch is cut away. It is not the purpose of the grapevine to produce leaves, to produce shade, or to be beautiful. It is the purpose of the vine and the branches to produce fruit. And our focus is mistaken when we rejoice and glory In the blessings that seem to be leaves and shade and beauty, and there is no fruit. The pruning, first of all, cuts all of the dead wood completely away, for if it is not cut away, it may uh, allow the rest of the vine to be damaged. And then the live wood is cut back drastically. But the husbandman never severs the connection of the branch to the vine. That is never severed. Rather, it is trimmed back to be kept clean, free from parasites and other things that would hinder its usefulness. And let us always remember that though the pruning of the vine may seem to us A hazard. Remember that the knife is always in the hand of the Father who loves us. And then notice in verses 4 through 6 here is the helplessness of the branch. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The secret of the Christian life is abiding in union with Jesus Christ. Our life is drawn from Him. It is His life in us. It is amazing to me that so often though Christians accept the fact that they could never save themselves, easily we seem to accept the fact that Christ had to die for our sins because we could never be good enough to do that. But we think somehow that after we are saved we must be good enough to please Him. That's not true. It is His life. And there is no good thing in any of us, Paul says in Romans 7, 18 and following. The only goodness, the only beauty, the only holiness, the only benefit to humanity or to the Father that is in us is there because of the presence of of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, detailed for us in Galatians 5, verses 22 and following, is the only proof of our union with Him. If there is no fruit, there is no union. Only in Christ are we anything And can we do anything that makes a difference for Him? We are helpless. Now, that's a disappointment to a lot of folks. But I promise you that you are in for a life of utter lack of fulfillment and happiness and joy if you harbor the illusion that there is anything you can do for God aside from abiding in Christ and letting Him live through you. In verses 7 through 10, here is the honor of the branch. in what could well be called Christian subculture in the United States today, often servants of the Lord or those who are supposed to be servants of the Lord are celebrities. Have you ever wondered how Jesus Christ would have felt with the celebrity mystique that surrounds Christian leaders today? I don't think that he would like it very much because the honor of the branch is simply and only to glorify God. That is the honor of the branch. We are to abide in Him. And as we abide in Him, first we recognize His sufficiency for us. We recognize our dependence on Him and we draw our life from Him. He mentions conditions that must be met. Verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. We are to abide in Him and in His words. It is to be constant. It is to be habitual even as He focused on His Father. It is to be undiluted obedience, cheerfully, completely following Him and obeying Him, being faithful whatever is required. From this passage as a whole there is a fourfold test of prayer first of all prayer that will be answered must be to the glory of God the primary purpose of everything God has ever done is to glorify himself not to please us not to meet our needs but to glorify himself and our prayers have no possibility of being answered if they do not Bring glory to God. We are to pray in His name. The name represents the nature, it represents the character, it represents His purposes, His will, His desires. And prayer that is answered will come from the heart of one who abides in Him. And our prayers always need to be tested by their consistency with the Word of God. We cannot abide in Christ unless we abide in His Word. Often today, the doctrine that is sound and scriptural and very basic to the Baptist way of belief called the priesthood of the believer is interpreted to mean that every believer is a theological free agent, answerable and accountable to no one but God. There's only one thing wrong with that, it just ain't so. Priesthood is a biblical metaphor. God, in establishing the priesthood in the Old Testament, set down very strict procedures for the priest to follow. And if you want to see how seriously he takes the obedience of the priesthood to his word, you can go to the book of Leviticus and see the fire come from the altar and kill two priests who decided to do what they wanted to do in worship instead of what God told them to do. A priest, in the New Testament sense, is not a theological free agent. It is a position of trust. It is the position of every one of us. And obedience is the truest expression of our love. Jesus identifies himself with that. He says, I obey the Father and I continue in His Word. You obey me and continue in my Word. We are not only to be occupied with Him in heart, but our life must be regulated by His Word. And in verses 11 through 17, here is the happiness of the branch. The happiness of the branch. There is full joy in the Lord Jesus Christ only in abiding in Him and in His Word. He tells them that they are chosen. He has chosen us for joy, for love. He has chosen us to be His partners in ministry. He said to His disciples, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you my friends. We are to be partners with Him. We are to be his ambassadors representing his name and his nature and his character faithfully and truthfully before others. We are to be walking advertisements for the power of God to change a life. And we are his family, chosen to be his family. And he repeats in these verses the command of John 13:34 and 35, that he, we are to love one another as He has loved us. That is our commandment, period. Love can do no evil to the object of love. And to the extent that we do, it is because the love is imperfect and is not there in sufficient force. And he tells us that there is no limitations to that love. He says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. He expressed his love by his death. And we are to express our love for him by our life of love toward each other and toward Him. Jesus said in John 13 that the only way the world would know that we were His was by our love to each other. These disciples were a typical group of human beings. They were unstable. They were diverse and the Lord Jesus knew that the only thing that could hold them together was the kind of love he had shown them that put the welfare of the other above their own welfare. What kind of love was his? It was a love of sacrifice. It did not say, don't you ever forget what I have done for you. It said, rather, I am willing to make any sacrifice for you. It was a love of closeness and intimacy. It was a love of initiative. We love Him because first He loved us. And it is a love that is productive in the lives of others. Merrill Tenney made this statement about the pruning that I close with. Live wood must be trimmed back in order to prevent such heavy growth that the life of the vine goes into the wood rather than into fruit. The vineyards in the early spring after pruning look like a collection of barren, bleeding stumps. But in the fall, they are filled with luxuriant purple grapes. As the farmer wields the pruning knife on his vines, so God cuts the dead wood out of us and often cuts the living wood back so far that his method seems cruel. Nevertheless, it is from those who have suffered the most that often comes the greatest fruitfulness. Fruit, more fruit, Much fruit is the divine order. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. May we pray. Heavenly Father, with every day almost and every circumstance of our lives sometimes, we feel the pruning away. We ask the question which has no answer, the question of why. And we are challenged to find purpose in our pain. Father, would you, by your grace, grant us the power to trust you even when we do not understand what you are trying to do. Father, it is our desire to please you. It is our desire to be fruitful. But in our selfishness, often we also desire that you please us. Father, help every one of us to make peace with the truth that our life is your life, that our purpose is to be fruitful, that our joy is to abide in you, Father, I thank you that the knife is in your hand and it is with fear that I pray and I pray in behalf of these, your people, that you would prune away whatever must go so that we may be fruitful, so that the world may know and may come to the Lord Jesus Christ. For I pray in His name and for His glory. Amen.